CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there. You know what I like to do on Fridays at 5.30 p.m.? Host options action at the NASDAQ, of course, and here's what's coming up on the big show. President Trump escalating the China trade war this week. And Dan Nathan says there's one group of stocks that could emerge as the big losers. He'll tell us what that is. Plus, traders were fleeing the FANG stocks in droves this week. But the chartmaster says there's one name that's about to bite back. He'll break it down. And later... It's been a happy-go-lucky year for Disney shares. And Mike Coe says investors may have no worries for the rest of the year. He'll lay out the trade. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. And we kick things off with a very tough week on Wall Street. A Powell plunge, escalating trade headlines, sending the S&P down by 3% for its worst week of the year. It's not just the U.S. under pressure, though. The China-heavy emerging markets ETF falling nearly 5% amid the turmoil. Dan says there could be more trouble ahead. Let's get in the money and Dan break it down for us. Well, one of the things that's really interesting when you think about a volatile week like this, um, you look at the S&P relative to a lot of, um, you know, a lot of equity indices around the world. It showed some pretty good relative strength. If you look at the EEM, that's the uh, ETF that trades emerging markets. It's very heavy on a lot of Chinese names, but it's also heavy on a lot of names affected by um, the tariffs. It more than doubled the downside to the S&P this week. And then you think about what happened to uh, bonds. Well, they went up a lot. What happened to the dollar? It went up for a bit. It was a flight to safety in U.S. assets. And as my friend Tim Seymour likes to say, when you have a rising dollar like that, is an actual wrecking ball for emerging markets, currencies, and for the equities. And that got me thinking about the EEM. When you look at this thing, here's a 15-year chart of this. It's sitting on, I'll let Carter speak to the charts uh, in a couple minutes. It's sitting on a massive, massive uptrend. That looks like massive support here. And you know, that thing from its January 2018 highs, it's in a bear market. It's uh, down about 21.5% or so. And I just don't really see it without a substantive trade deal why this ETF should rally meaningfully. And one last point I'll just make, when you look at the implied volatility, the price of options in the EEM, it has some pretty good uh, support in that 15% range. But if you go back over the last five years and looking at that chart right now, when we get global growth scares, this thing, implied volatility, at least the price of options rallies. That means you want to own options if you have a directional inclination, especially to the downside. So I think this trade is pretty simple. If you are not optimistic, and I think the president told you this this week by first running ahead of his trade negotiations by saying that you know we may not see a deal until after the election and then slapping on those extra tariffs, we're not going to see a substantive deal anytime soon. I think in the EM, this is probably one of the better shorts out there in the market using defined risk. With options, I think you look out to October expiration when the ETF is trading at 40 and a half today. You buy the October 40 put for a dollar 10. That breaks even at 38.90, down 4 percent, um, risking 2.7 percent of the underlying ETF price. That looks like a really good risk reward. And then finally, I just want to pull up a three-year chart. This is how I would trade this thing. If it breaks that uptrend that we've had in place for the last three years. I see support after 40 bucks down there at 38. That was the double bottom from 2016. And then you have an air pocket down to the mid to low 30s. I think 
owning and at the money or near the money put in October gives you a lot of exposure to what would likely be one of the weakest uh, equity ETFs around the world if things get worse from here. All right. Mike Coe's joining us as well tonight. Mike, you want to take a, a, uh, a stab at this one? Yeah, sure. So I, I like the trade structure. I, I think it's just the right way to play this. It, you know, Dan was alluding to the implied volatility of the cost of options. It's really interesting. If you take a look at the implied volatility of those October 40 puts that he's buying, those actually have declined in price, actually, since late June. The other thing I would do is take a look at a year ago. We saw an over 14% decline just about a year ago at the same time frame. That was amounted to about a $6 decline. If you were going to try to turn this into a spread, it's definitely something you want to do after EEM starts to move to the downside. Take a look at the 38 puts, for example. Those things were trading around 40 cents today. There would be no reason to sell those to put on that spread right now when you think that there's a possibility that this thing could make a comparable move if it did like it did last year, and we saw maybe a double-digit percentage decline. Getting less than 1% of spot right now to sell those downside puts wouldn't make much sense. All right, Carter. You know, the, the thing that's so interesting about this is this is the area that was seized on by bulls to say that the market in December and this year in its entirety would be good because emerging markets bottomed before the S&P. They actually made their low in November. And the S&P made a sharp new low in December, and EEM did not. And people said, ah, see, it's risk on. You want to be in cyclicality, banks, industrials, all, of course, which is completely wrong. And what we know now is the EEM is at risk of a big drop, and certain other like things are already doing it. Look at Mexico. So the EWW is already below and making new two- and three-year lows. Bad setup. All right. Yeah, and just lastly, one of the reasons why I targeted that last chart with a 38 support level, to Mike's point, if this thing drops a couple uh, points quickly, what you would look to do at maybe about 38 is sell a 35 put, lock in some more premium, uh, reduce your break even on the trade. And I think that's how you want to trade this. You just want to own an option outright if you're picking a direction right here. All right. Well, tech also taking it on the chin amid the trade tantrum with the Nasdaq 100 posting its worst week since December. And check out the fang drain. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet all down sharply. Amazon seeing its longest losing streak in nearly four years. But the chart master says it may be ready for a bounce. Want to head over to the plasma and break it down for us? You bet. So, I mean, Amazon has had a lot of air let out of it. Think about Microsoft. It's barely down. Or a Visa or any of these high-flying, super-cap, idiosyncratic growth names. Amazon really did get pounded. It's down 11%. Just to put this in perspective, you know, S&P, NASDAQ, semis, and then Amazon. And not to say that it has to be related to any of these. The point is that it was a center of selling. Uh, This is the peak to trough decline over the last six to eight sessions, depending where you start your meter. But the point is, at this point, I think you've got bounce potential, not just because it's down 11%, but because the chart level would suggest that. So here is your low in um, December. Here is your June low, and here is this sell-off. Well, they happen to be, not randomly, right off of a line. I mean, you know, you kind of can't make this stuff up. So the point is, is that does it have to go on and make new highs? No. But do you press it short here, or do you play for some sort of bounce? So again, my thinking is that you pay for some sort of bounce. Let's just draw the green arrows in. One, two, three. Now, does it have to do that? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about even just catching a trade, and that's what this is about. So wanting to get long Amazon here uh, for a perspective bounce. Yeah, so play it for us, Mike. What's the trade? 
Yeah, so Amazon, I mean, I'm not telling anybody something that they don't know already. I mean, it's a very expensive stock. If you're going to buy a round lot, you're looking at 181000 bucks in change to make your bullish bet here. And obviously, that's quite a lot of downside risk. Options, of course, because you're dealing with a high price stock individually, they're also very expensive. Since we're really just playing for a bounce and not trying to do something too complicated, I think the trade here is really to look at a very narrow call spread. This is kind of a binary trade. It's either going to work or it's not. We're going to try to make sure that we limit the amount of decay that we're taking a look at. Specifically, the trade I was looking at was the October 1800, 1835 call spread. To give you a sense of how expensive those are, those 1800 calls were trading for a dollar two when I was looking at that earlier today, and the higher 1835 were about 83 and a half. So net net, you're spending 18 and a half dollars for that $35 wide call spread. Now, that is more than what we usually look to spend on vertical spreads, but the reason is that when I was looking at this, this was actually in the money by about 17 bucks. So basically what we're doing here is we're mitigating the decay in this case, and we're just going to play for this very near-term bounce that Carter's talking about. If it goes up anywhere close to the price target that I think he was mentioning, somewhere around 1890 for a bounce maybe, this thing is probably going to be completely worth the distance between the strikes. And obviously, if it doesn't work out, we're taking a very small risk relative to what it would be if we were just going to either buy those calls outright. Like I said, 100 bucks a piece, that's $10,000 when you consider the multiplier. Uh, so this is a way that basically for the price of one share of stock, we can get exposure uh, to the upside for a little bit of a bounce here. Okay. What do you think of the trade? Um, you know, I'm kind of mixed on it. And, and I don't think, I think Mike laid it out really well. He's basically saying you're risking 18 to make 18 if the stock's up just a little bit. So it's a pretty good risk reward, but he also said it's pretty binary. I mean, I, I just think that it's a matter of conviction. If you thought the stock could easily get back to $1,900 um, on a bounce based on Carter's work, and if things really started getting going in the markets, this thing's on its way back to 2000 you might feel a little bit like I got the direction right, but the trade wrong. And I, I'm not criticizing Mike's trade by any means. I think the risk reward is there. It just depends how convicted you are in the call, how convicted you think that this thing could get back. It's just sold off almost 10%. And, and, and if you're really convicted on that, then I don't think you're doing Mike's trade. You're looking to roll something up and getting some wider exposure to the upside. Mike, you jump back in. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a situation where, look, if you get the direction right, this trade is going to be right, right? You're going to double however much you put into yeah. it. And that's really defining your risk here. How much do you want to risk? How much capital do you want to put on a trade in Amazon hoping on a bounce? And look, I could understand, given how the market behaved this week, why people might be a little bit reluctant to run in and say, you know what, I want to buy $200,000 worth of Amazon here because I think it's due for a bounce. That obviously, even for a good-sized portfolio, is quite a capital commitment. Here's a way to do it. And look, you can size the trade however you want, but you're minimizing your decay. If Carter's right, this thing is going to pay off. And if he's wrong, you're going to define your risk to how much you're putting on this spread. And that could be much less than it would be if you're either buying the stock or buying an outright option. In a, in a way, it's a bet on does the market have a little bit of a bounce on Monday, Tuesday, sure. right? I mean, that's essentially because if you're going to bet on something bouncing, that this helps. is as good a candidate as any. But remember, the market does about individual stocks bounce, and therefore the market bounces, the market sells off. So if indeed there's going to be money going into the market for a trade, this is as good a vehicle any, only because it's gone down more and it is a big popular name. All right. Got more options action still ahead. Here's what else is coming up on the show. It's been a magical year for Disney. And Mike says there's a whole new world waiting for the stock out of earnings next week. He'll tell you why the magic carpet ride isn't over just yet. 
Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Check out shares of Disney up 30% in 2019 for what's been a magical year for the Magic Kingdom. And there could be even more fireworks when it reports earnings next week. So how should you play that stock into the big event? Mike Coe's got the call to action. Mike? Yeah, so this is an interesting case. You know, right now, the options market is implying a move of a little over 3% when they report earnings next week. That may not sound all that big, but actually it is relatively big when you consider that this is a stock that has moved well less than 2% over the last eight quarters after they've reported. So this is a situation where the shorter dated options are looking a little bit pricey relative to the longer dated ones. This is a stock that I like to own here. I'm bullish in the long term. You know, this is a stock I think that's basically the best of breed. Some of the troubles that basically caused lower valuation multiples for this stock historically, things like cord cutting impacting ESPN, that problem has slowed. We were seeing maybe 4% losses year on year before. Now we're down to about 2%. Plus, they're picking up some subs on the direct-to-consumer streaming side. I think that's a positive. They own 60% of Hulu. I think that's also a positive probably 25 million subs there by 2024 or so. So this is a stock that I like to own. The thing is, right now it's trading close to its all-time highs. 22 times earnings for something that's growing the bottom line at maybe 15% doesn't seem unreasonable, but it isn't as cheap as it has been. So if I want to make a bullish play, I want to use options, and I want to use the cheaper long-dated options to do it, and I want to take advantage of the fact that the nearer-dated ones are pretty elevated. So very simply, I was looking at the August January 140 call spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, that was about six bucks. I would buy those January 140 calls for about 990, sell the August 140s for about 390. This is also one of the trades, kind of like some others that we've talked about, where because we own ones that are well past the next earnings even, go all the way out to January, after I sell these calls in August, after they expire, I can look to do this trade again, essentially working into a synthetic form of a buy rate. And this is a way that I can mitigate my downside risk. Remember, when you put on a trade like this, the most that you can risk is six bucks, and that's between now and January. And you know, obviously, if the stock stays in this range, we're going to benefit from the decay that's going to hit those near dated options. Yeah, do you like this? I love this trade, and I'll tell you why. This stock has not moved a lot after earnings. If you look at that huge gap above 120 when that happened in April, that was a result of a mid-quarter update where they outlined their OTT service, all the things that Mike really loves about this story, and that got investors back in the name. So to me, I love the idea of isolating this range, especially when you consider how volatile the market might be over the next few weeks here. I think you're setting up to really discount the cost of those longer dated calls, which you want to own. And the other point I'd just make, I'll let you speak to it, that 130 level, that gap level from April, that looks like the level where you'd love for it to come back in and load up. Well, I think that's just that you, you almost have to do this through options because just owning the stock here with the implied move is, I'll think it start, its peak on Monday was uh, 147.15. I mean, even if it were to go up 3%, you won't even get back to where you were just in the beginning of this week. It's sort of a dull moment. It was, it's been a great winner, but I think it's stuck here. So you've got to do something uh, on the options side to get a little juice. 
All right, Mike, last word to you. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. When we have a situation where a stock gets stuck like this and we're playing a, a near-term range-bound situation, that's when a trade like this will make some sense. But bear something else in mind. If we get something disappointing coming out of earnings, or if the market gets hit even harder and it takes this one with it, those near-term options are going to decay. We're going to own those longer-dated calls. One of the things we might even be able to work our way into in that circumstance, if we get a pop in implied volatility, would then be to sell some downside puts, maybe below the strike that Dan was talking about, maybe around the 130 level. We could probably collect some nice premium, and then you could get into a diagonal calendar, not something that we often get an opportunity to discuss here, but a very nice trade indeed if it's a stock you like to own for the long term. Okay. Up next, trade war trouble taking a bite out of Apple after the stock surged on earnings earlier this week. We'll tell you how to play it coming up. Plus, it's Friday, so you know what that means. Tweet your burning options questions to at options action, and you may get your answer on the air. Don't go anywhere. There's much more options, options action right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look at a couple of our open trades. Last week, Mike Coe and Carter said it was time to cash in on the dollar. If you have a well-defined trend line and then you break above it, the key here is after breaking above it, it checked back and is now pivoting off the line again. That confirms uh, the major reversal that's been underway here. Look at the September 26 calls. These calls are in the money already. When I was looking at these earlier today, those were about 65 cents. They were in the money by about 55 cents. All right, the dollar breaking out to its highest level since 2017 before getting slammed on the trade war headlines. Mike, what do you do now? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about this trade was basically we were trying to get long dollar exposure with defined risk, and we certainly did that. There was about 10 cents worth of extrinsic premium in these calls. That's essentially gone now. These things traded up to about 83 cents midweek and closed the day around 70. My view on this is that if you're inclined to stay long the dollar, this is a better way to do it for sure because there's no decay built into these and we've already defined our risk. You can't lose money below 26. So to the degree that anybody wants to be long the dollar here from now until September expiration, these calls remain the way to do it. But I'm going to have to defer to Carter on the view on the dollar here. All right, he deferred. Right, well, so <laughs> tactically, of course, we got a nice bounce um, and that's come and gone uh, to some extent. Structurally, which is also important and perhaps more important, there's every indication that the dollar is headed higher. It is a flight to safety environment, and you want to be long UUP. All right, moving on. Also last Friday, Dan had a way to play Apple into earnings. I actually think that expectations are low. They put up a decent enough print into a weird quarter. I think they almost have a mulligan with the trade stuff, and I think the stock goes higher. And option prices are probably pretty reasonable enough where you can make an at-the-money bet to get a breakout above that level. So today when the stock was trading at 208, you could buy the August 210 call, paying $4 and a quarter for that. Well, the stock surged on the back of its report but got swept up, but got swept up. 
in the sell-off later in the week. So, Dan, how do you manage this one? Well, this is interesting. So we tweeted this one out right afterwards, and I think it's really important. So once this stock gapped up in line with the implied move, it was trading about 221 in the hours after it opened after the, the, the quarter the next morning. Those calls were trading at about 12 bucks. They cost four and a quarter. At that point, they are trading like stock. It is a market call, and you had to make a call. And my call then was to take the profit and move on. And we saw this last quarter on May 1st that it had that gap, and then it started selling off. So to me, this was really just an earnings trade. That's one of the reasons why we use fairly short dated options. I just want to make one other point. The stock closed at 204 today. It was 208 last Friday. Those calls went out at four and a quarter last Friday. They went out at 185. So stocks down four, you know, the calls are down two and change, 230 or something like that. That's why we like to play with defined risk into uncertain events like earnings. I mean, I think that the key is that you sort of took your money and ran yeah. because at this point now you've got a fallow asset, meaning the catalyst has come and gone and now it's back to and below where it was on its maybe sort of stuck. Yeah. Okay. Mike? Yeah, I mean, the quick point here, as Dan was pointing out, these options expire on August 16th. So the decay basically is really kicking in after this event takes place. The right thing to do in a situation like this, once you get the move you're looking for, take your profits because what's going to happen after that is those things are going to decay very rapidly. And if you are inclined to press your bets, what you're going to want to do is roll, not stick in those short dated options. All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call. We're back on Options Action. We're back on Options Action. Time to answer your tweets. Our first fan asks, how do I know when to exit an options trade? I seem to always get the trade right, but I hold it too long and watch the profit evaporate. Dan? Yeah, I mean, Mike just answered this question. A lot of times you have to say, did it achieve your target? And you have to be very cognizant of what that decay is going to be, because if it has achieved that target and you have a lot more time, you want to get out of that, because ultimately it'll just decay. All right. Appreciate the question very much. Let's do the final call now. Mike, you uh, start us off and have a great weekend, bud. Sure. You know, I mean, one of the first options trades a lot of people get into is they buy stock and sell calls against it, but they should be considering buying calls and selling calls against it. That would be a call calendar in the case of Disney, the August 140, January 140 going into earnings. All right. Good stuff. Carter? Amazon, I think you can play it for a bounce. It's obviously a high-profile name, and it, it comes with risk. But being down 11%, I do it. And if you don't like that, just stick with gold and silver. Yeah, well, see what happens in the market next week uh, yep. after what we got. And that's uh, going to direct that trade. All right, Danny. I, I like, if you're looking to be constructive, I like your Amazon call, and I like those lines. Um, and the other point is EEM. This looks like a great setup to press a short here to the downside, maybe to the mid-30s. Yeah, I've got some earnings next week. That'll be big. Yep. Uh, who knows what happens on the trade front? tweets and about interest rates and everything else. It does it for us on Options Action. Have a great weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer is next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.